Lord God, thank you for the worship that we have just come from or that we are heading toward. We ask that you would bless this time in your word. Teach us by your Holy Spirit, we ask, to the glory of the Father and in the name of the Son. Amen. Some of you would have already heard this story of mine, but it, uh, it helps, I think, to picture the Psalms in relationship to us. Uh, one of the concerns that I have is that we learn how to line up the Psalms, how we learn how to line them up with our own personal lives, and how we understand how the Psalms can line up with the lives of our friends, our neighbors, even our enemies and that we learn how to line them up in relationship to Jesus Christ. That this is his prayer book. And that we learn to pray these psalms with kind of half an ear with respect to Jesus praying these very same psalms. For me, that deepens my appreciation of the psalms when I realize that Jesus grew up praying these psalms that they had a shaping influence on his understanding, his self-understanding, and on his mission. I think that's really important. Lining up is, though, something of an art. Uh, my last year at uh, Wheaton College, uh, the same place that Deborah referenced uh, this morning, three other seniors and myself uh, went on a canoe trip uh, on the Vermilion River in Illinois. And we had a Girl Scout guidebook with us uh, to guide us on the river. But a lot depended on us understanding where we were on the river in relationship to the guidebook. We thought we had figured that out, and we were tracking this guidebook that told us that uh, there were going to be rapids and we'd have to get out uh, and portage around these rapids. Well, we came to what we thought were the rapids, but they were easily uh, navigable. Uh, and then we came to uh, an old factory that the guidebook said we would, again, we were in danger of capsizing if we went straight down the river. But again, it was really easy. By night, we camped out. We were mocking this Girl Scout guidebook as being, you know, for little girls, and we were sort of, uh, you know, uh, acting really macho in relationship to this guidebook. Well, uh, the next day, we did come upon rapids that were really dangerous, and we had to get out of the boat and portage. We came by an old factory, and we did capsize. Both, both canoes tipped over with all of our stuff and everything. Well, we came to realize that we had pointed ourselves to the wrong place on the river, that the guidebook was exactly right, that we just not lined up the Girl Scout guidebook with where we were on the Vermilion River. I think that's uh, an appropriate analogy for lining up the Psalms. I think that at some point in your life, you can identify with every one of the 150 Psalms. Even in those deepest, darkest, uh, valley of the shadow of death psalms, as well as those brilliant, jubilant, celebrative psalms. Not only for ourselves, but for the global church. I think on any 
given Sunday worship morning for any given psalm. There's a congregation, there's a people of God, brothers and sisters in Christ who can identify with that psalm. And so we pray the psalm not only for ourselves, we pray the psalms not only for our friends, but we pray the psalms for a global church that worships in the name of Jesus Christ. Psalm 42 begins, Psalm 42, verse 1, and you will find it on your study guide, the three stanzas. And I'm going to read those three stanzas now. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the Mighty One with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. And if you turn the page to the second stanza, the Lord's loyal love. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar, deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your ways and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. And then if you turn the page, you get the third stanza. No, you don't have to turn the page, sorry. <laughs> the third stanza is in the right column. Send me your light. Vindicate me, my God, and plead my cause against an unfaithful nation. Rescue me from those who are deceitful and wicked. You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Send me your light and your faithful care. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my joy and my delight. I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why? My soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. The word of the Lord. You can't help but pick up on the paradox. The paradox of doing this in the presence of God before my God, my stronghold, my Savior, 
my God, repeated over and over again, the intensity of the relationship with God and yet the painful sense of separation from God and the paradox of that continuing on through the whole psalm. We spoke last week of the difference between kind of a landscape and an inscape. A landscape gives us the horizon. An inscape by the poet gives us the essence of what something is. And you sense within this psalm a growing, deepening of reliance, trust, and praise to God, even though the circumstances do not change. And yet the psalmist is deepened. I'm going to focus on 6 through 11, the second stanza of the Lord's loyal love, having covered the first last week. After that first stanza, there doesn't seem to be much improvement. The psalmist is still struggling. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you. Now that second line in the couplet is very significant that even though he's downcast, he's focused. In the first stanza, you remember that what comes to his mind as he expresses his depression, his disheartenment, what comes to mind is this sense of uh, having led the procession of worship into the temple and remembering the joy, the, the ecstasy of that celebration of God. That's what his mind goes to as he's depressed. And that is not characteristic often of us. When our minds are depressed, we put out even those positive thoughts that have been in our past the history that we have with God, the history we have with God's people. We don't even want to go there. We don't want the positive because we're feeling so negative. But the psalmist would teach us otherwise, that it's good to go to that which is positively remembered in our relationship with God. And this is what he does in the second stanza. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you. From the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Now a second, well, this is the third water metaphor. The first water metaphor is my soul thirsts for you. As a deer pants for streams of living water, my soul thirsts for you. The second water metaphor is the idea of tears. I'm crying day and night. That's in the first stanza. Tears have been my diet. Now you have a third water metaphor. And this is from northern Israel, the northernmost extremity of the nation of Israel on the border of Lebanon and Syria. The Golan Heights are not far away. And the psalmist sees Mount Hermon and a lower mountain, Mount Mizar. And the headwaters for the Jordan are under Mount Hermon. It's from geysers, from deep streams that uh, feed the Jordan, and they begin there under Mount Hermon. And when you have kind of a flash flood situation, this would be a place where those uh, banks are overflowing. And he's picturing, the psalmist is picturing that kind of uh, waterfall. In 2015, uh, along with nine other pastors, I visited Mount Hermon 
and this region of Caesarea Philippi. And we walked along these streams, walked and actually swam in these waterfalls. So I can picture it. And I don't know as if the psalmist is actually literally there in northern Israel or if he's choosing this as a geographic sense of the distance he feels from God because God's presence is in Mount Zion, in Jerusalem, in the temple, and he's feeling really far removed. So he pictures being at the uttermost edge of the country in a kind of foreign land. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your ways and breakers have swept over me. But all your waves, it should say, not ways. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. And then this word. And you explain to me why this, is, why this verse is there. By day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. Now, you wouldn't expect this in the throes of what the psalmist is experiencing, almost being drowned. The waves are sweeping over him. And then by day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. There is this juxtaposition in the psalm between this, this darkness, this dryness, this disheartenment, this drowning, and yet this uh, delight. And I think it would be wise for us as the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ to realize that that kind of juxtaposition is real and not something to feel uh, that it is strange and odd and that we're unique because we experience this. The psalmist allows us to feel this juxtaposition of pain and praise running right down the center of our lives, of our hearts and minds. Even so, the psalmist says, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Now, what do you think is the effect of this psalm on Jesus? Praying Psalm 42, 43. I find it really interesting that the turning point in the Gospel of Matthew, in Matthew 16, is when Jesus was in this region, in Caesarea Philippi, at Mount Hermon. You can't go there today without being impressed by this being a shrine to pagan gods. The god Pan is worshipped in the cave of Mount Hermon. The god Pan was a cross between a goat and a human being. Peter Pan comes from that Greek minor deity the god of the wild, the mixing of the beast and the human, was celebrated in that cave, the cave of Pan on Mount Hermon. And this is where Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And the complementary notions uh, that would have been felt in Jerusalem and in parts of Galilee 
not so much right there in Caesarea Philippi on the edge of a pagan reality. Well, you're like one of the prophets, Jeremiah, Elijah. You're John the Baptist. Well, who do you say that I am? And you remember Jesus hearing the voice of Peter here. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus responds to Peter, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. There, at Mount Hermon, on the edge of the pagan world where Baal and Pan were worshipped, is where the Messiah is declared. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. Now, was Jesus praying Psalm 42 and Psalm 43? And was Jesus feeling the juxtaposition of the Father's love? Even as he, and this, you remember how that conversation goes with the disciples. Jesus begins to say to them how he must go to Jerusalem and suffer and die and be killed by the chief priests and by the rulers of Israel. And you remember Peter then steps in and says, no way, this is not going to happen to you. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. It's really interesting to sit there in the, in the presence of the cave of Pan and read Matthew 16. And it never would have occurred to me then of how, Matthew, how Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 correspond to that dialogue in Matthew 16. Notice in this uh, second stanza, I say to God, my rock. What does that make you think of? You are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. In the presence of Mount Hermon, the cave of Pan, O oh God, you are my rock, from Psalm 42. Peter, you upon you, because of that confession of faith in Jesus Christ, I call you rock. And yet the paradox continues. I, as I think about this psalm, I, I think about you know, the, the tears of day and night and Jesus weeping over Jerusalem and the lack of response. I think of uh, that opening idea of um, my soul thirsts for God like a deer panting for streams of water. And I think of the John 4 conversation with the woman at the well and the promise of giving living water. I just see Jesus all over this psalm. That as he prays this psalm, it is, it's a prayer that captures his life. And not to see it now, even though for years and years I never would have identified Jesus with this psalm, but not to see it now um, would be, to me, probably to uh, deny the work of the Holy Spirit in illuminating the Word of God. Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony, and my foes taunt me. Where is your God? Who do people say that the Son of Man is? 
Now, even the question that is repeated throughout the psalm, where is your God? Seems to be on the mind of Jesus when he says, well, who do people say that I am? Let's move to the third stanza. Uh, Send me your light. Vindicate me, my God, and plead my cause against an unfaithful nation. Okay, how might you interpret that? That line, and plead my cause against an unfaithful nation or an unfaithful people. What's it say in John 1? He came unto his own, but his own received him not. But to as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the children of God. Born not in the flesh, but born by the Spirit of God. And plead my cause against an unfaithful nation. Rescue me from those who are deceitful and wicked. You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? I can't stress enough the the sense of the validity of the feeling maintained in the intensity of devotion. And that that is characteristic of the reality of the Christian life. The validity of the darkness of the emotion in the light of the intensity of the devotion, and this is valid. This is valid to have that juxtaposition. Send me your light and your faithful care, or send me your light and your truthfulness would be a valid interpretation. Let them lead me. Send me your light. What did Deborah say in her sermon? The characteristic of light and glory. Characteristic of the gospel of John. Send me your light. The psalmist would have had no idea of how God was going to eventually send the light. I am the light of the world. That whole Johannine emphasis upon that light and that glory... Send me your light and your truthfulness. The actual incarnation, the embodiment of that light and truthfulness. Let them lead me, let them bring me to your holy mountain, Mount Zion, to the place where you dwell. Then I will go to the altar of God. See, this is really what he wants. He wants to be back with the people of God. He wants to be at the center of things in Jerusalem. He wants to be able to go to the altar of God. And Jesus will go to the altar too. Not in devotion of worship, but as the sacrifice. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my joy and my delight. I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. You know, I'll get out the guitar, I'll open up the organ, I'll bring in the piano. I'm going to praise you. I'm going to praise you with the instruments, O God, my God. But then why end? Why end on this note? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. I'm hoping that you come away from 
this psalm with the sense that it's okay for me to say that. It's okay for me to say that even as I remember how the Lord blessed me in worship, as I remember the Lord's delight and help. Uh, one of the things that I think is really important when we preach and when we teach is that uh, whatever we preach and teach could uh, sensibly, spiritually, end at the table, the Eucharistic table. That saves us from a kind of moralism, a kind of, well, you ought to do better idea. If every message, and Deborah had a wonderful turn to the table in her message this morning. And I think that with the reference to the altar of God, the psalmist turns to the Eucharistic table here as well. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my joy and my delight. Only in Jesus' case, he is the sacrifice that will go on the altar. On the third page, uh, or the back page, I quote here from George Herbert's poem, The Altar. It was written in 1633, and I would use this as a conclusion. A broken altar, Lord, thy servant rears, made of a heart and cemented with tears, whose parts are as thy hand did frame. No workman's tool has touched the same. A heart alone is such a stone, as nothing but thy power doth cut. Wherefore, each part of my hard heart meets in this frame to praise thy name. That if I chance to hold my peace, these stones to praise thee may not cease. Oh, let thy blessed sacrifice be mine and sanctify this altar to be thine. This third stanza is filled with the desire of God being his advocate, his vindicator, his rescuer, his stronghold, his light, his truth, so that I can come up to the altar. And Christ was all of that for us and laid himself on that altar, our sacrifice. The last line, O oh, let thy blessed sacrifice be mine and sanctify this altar to be thine. It's important that Christians pray the Psalms. It's important that Christians find in Jesus' prayer book his life. Line it up. Line up his life with the Psalms. Line up our lives with the Psalms. And understand what God in Christ has done for us and how these psalms are fulfilled in him. Amen. Let's take questions. Last week, the, the, the Q&A was better than the teaching and opened up ideas that I don't think otherwise would have been opened up. Any thoughts, comments, perspectives? Hello. I appreciated how you connect Jesus to the Psalms and was wondering if you would say that the that God inspired and ordained the Psalms with the incarnation in mind all along and not that Jesus by coincidence or just adapting 
David's psalms to his life, but rather viewing them from this idea that God ordained these psalms all along for the purpose of his son. And if so, how does that help us even more so as we think about the psalms in light of Jesus? You know, it's so important. I grew up um, in a church that pretty much just preached the Pauline epistles over and over and over again. And it wasn't until a lot later in my Christian life that I realized that we really had a full canon. And that from Genesis to Revelation, Jesus is presented. Most definitely. I mean, the author of Scripture is the Lord God himself. And this story, this drama of salvation, rooted in history, uh, deeply theological, is through and through the story of how he's going to bring about redemption. And the Psalms really speak to that powerfully. We're, we're quite comfortable associating Psalm 23 with Jesus. The Lord is my shepherd. We feel like we've got good precedent there with John 10, the good shepherd's picture of John. And I think the more we think and pray, the more we see Jesus throughout all the Psalms. Uh, and not to neglect then its personal impact on us. But uh, we have a full canon. It's almost a shame that we, have it, we call it Old Testament and New Testament because it's really just one testament from beginning to end. And Christ is everywhere present. I guess I was struck by your opening prayer that, the, that we be guided by the Spirit and then you acknowledge that only through the Spirit you came to realize the connection of Jesus and the Psalms and, and just how important it is to recognize that, that the spirit is our prayer prayer guide or prayer definitely the warrior. holy spirit and, and not to say this bragging about my ignorance but uh, i'm amazed at how much i don't know and how long it's taken me to know it i'm 65 um, and still driven by the hunger to understand and learn god's word and then and then, as I said last week, it's only within these past few years that um, the Psalms in relationship to Christ have really had an impact on my thinking. And it's like, what were you thinking uh, for that to take so long to take root? So I say that by way of encouragement. Uh, you don't need to know what I don't know. But uh, you do maybe need to be encouraged that it's never too late to get into God's Word and to study it because it does shape, it transforms us. It's not just head knowledge here that we're talking about. Brandon? If I wanted to begin to immerse myself in the Psalms for devotional practice, any, any word of encouragement, any thoughts? I mean, if I just wanted to sit down and start reading it, there are a lot of obscure references. So uh, what would you recommend to someone? Um, that, that's hard because, you know, right now I'm, I'm probably reading uh, 10 to 15 to 20 books on each psalm and as I work through it. Um, Patrick Reardon has written a book, Christ in the Psalms. And he's uh, an Orthodox theologian. And uh, that it's, he's got like a two pages on each psalm 
And so that's especially good from a devotional standpoint. Patrick Reardon, Christ in the Psalms. Uh, I think that might be a good place to begin. Anyone else? Or you can come to your class next fall. You could, I wasn't going to plug my class. Uh, you also can go to my website because when I finish a psalm, I'm posting it. Uh, and there was one Bible study here at the Advent that was going through the psalms and, and using that as a resource too. So, and I'll just keep doing that. 150. Uh, we, at the pace we were going with our Monday study, Somebody said that uh, it's going to take us six years to get through the Psalms. And then he added, and some of us won't be here. <laughs> may the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you, and may he give you his peace. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.